We are, we are privileged to be in God's house today, uh, to be able to sing of His grace, His mercy, His love, His forgiveness for each one of us. Today I've entitled the message, Changed by Grace. And I've kind of put up a summary statement so that we can think about uh, this in relationship to the whole message today. And that is simply this, law and grace are essential to understand the gospel. The law exposes our sinfulness, grace enables us to be forgiven and changed. There really is a balance of both. We have to have law, we look into God's word, we read about his commandments, and we realize that we've broken them. But it's the grace of God that enables us to be forgiven and changed. Um, I, I think about where would we be? Where would I be this morning? Would I be at a bar? Would I be somewhere else? Uh, if it wasn't for the grace of God. And Paul recognizes that as well as he communicates this to Timothy. In 1 Timothy chapter 1, beginning in verse 12, he says, I thank Christ Jesus our Lord who has given me strength that he considered me faithful, appointing me to his service. Even though I was once a blasphemer and a persecutor and a violent man, I was shown mercy because I acted in ignorance and unbelief. The grace of our Lord was poured out on me abundantly along with the faith and love that are in Christ Jesus. Here is a trustworthy saying that deserves full acceptance. Christ Jesus came into the world to save sinners, of whom I am the worst. But for that very reason I was shown mercy, so that in me, the worst of sinners, Christ Jesus might display his unlimited patience as an example for those who would believe on him and receive eternal life. Now to the King eternal, immortal, invisible, the only God, be honor and glory forever and ever. Amen. Timothy, my son, I give you this instruction in keeping with the prophecies once made about you, so that by following them you may fight the good fight, holding on to faith and a good conscience. Some have rejected these and so have shipwrecked their faith. Among them are Hymenaeus and Alexander, whom I have handed over to Satan to be taught not to blaspheme. The very thing we see at the outset of this passage is we see an appreciation for God's grace and his goodness. There's an expression of thanksgiving for what God has done in Paul's life. He says, I thank Christ Jesus our Lord. Why? Because he has given me strength. Let's think about the strength that was given to Paul this morning. This strength is noticeable in two areas of Paul's life. First, in his conversion from sin. To turn from sin, he broke the chains of sin that had bound him all his life. He could not break the chains himself. That's the power of grace. That's the power of God's mercy in our lives. We cannot break the chains of sin ourselves. God has to do that. And he can do that in people's lives. Paul gives three words here to outline the magnitude of his sin. 
And I think he does that not to glorify sin, not to make sin out to be this wonderful thing. He does it to show the magnitude of his sin so we can see the greatness of God's grace. When we understand that. And so he shows the magnitude of his sin. First, what does he say? Even though I was once a blasphemer. A blasphemer is someone who is slanderous and offensive in their speech. They use their speech and their words to damage somebody else's character. Who was Paul damaging? Believers. Followers of the way. He was damaging them with his words and with his actions. Followers of Jesus Christ, he blasphemed. Secondly, he says, I was a persecutor. He was known for persecuting believers by putting both men and women into prison. Look here, Acts 26. And I did so in Jerusalem. I not only locked up many of the saints in prison after receiving authority from the chief priests, but when they were put to death, I cast my vote against them, and I punished them often in all the synagogues and tried to make them blaspheme. And in raging fury against them, I persecuted them even to foreign cities. You remember when Stephen was stoned, it says that the, his clothes were laid at a young man's feet named Saul, the Apostle Paul. He was there giving consent to the death of Stephen as Stephen was being stoned and the blood oozed out of his body and the last breath that he gave was gone. Paul was saying, yes, hey, all right, another victory. And this is the guy that God has given strength to, to turn from sin, to turn from someone totally opposed to the church to becoming a follower, an embracer, a preacher of the gospel. I remember when I was in working in the bakery uh, after I got out of high school. And when I worked in the bakery, there was a guy that came up to me one day. He had given his life to Christ. And he said, he asked me a question. He said, did you ever think I would become a believer? I was ashamed. I hadn't really thought about him becoming a believer in Jesus. I said, you know, I'm sorry to say, I guess I hadn't really thought about you becoming a believer. And it was, a, it was a shameful thing. But here God had changed his life and he was so excited and full of the joy of the Lord because the grace of God had changed his life. How about you in your life? Is there, are there some people in your life, maybe in your own family or maybe in your neighborhood or maybe in your circle of influence, you say, that person will never give their life to Christ. That person is too far gone. It's impossible that God could touch them. Have you ever felt that? You know, we do that in our prayers, don't we? If we don't pray for them, it's because we really don't believe that God can change them. And he can. He can change people from the inside out. Paul says in Galatians 1.13 as well, he says, You have heard of my former life in Judaism, how I persecuted the church of God violently and tried to destroy it. There are people who are worshiping Satan today who are praying for the destruction of the church. God can change them by his grace. I know he can. We know he can. We know he has the power to do it. Paul goes on to say, I was not only a blasphemer and a persecutor, he said, I was a violent man. Some texts say insolent. It means he had an outrageous disregard of other men's rights. 
He could care less what people felt or thought. In fact, he thought he was doing what God wanted him to do, and so he did it with passion and zeal. There's a story that one night Martin Luther went to sleep, and he was troubled about his sin. In a dream, he saw an angel standing by a blackboard, and at the top of the blackboard was Luther's name. The angel had chalk in his hand, and he was listing all of Luther's sins on the blackboard. And the list filled the blackboard. Luther shuddered in despair, feeling that his sins were so many he could never be forgiven. But suddenly in his dream, he saw a pierced hand writing above the list these words, The blood of Jesus Christ, his Son, cleanses us from all sin. As Luther gazed in amazement, the blood flowed from the wounded hand and washed the record clean. That's what God does. He washes the record clean. He takes us from the worst of sinners and he gives us his grace. So we see the strength of God in Paul's conversion from sin. We also see it in relationship to his call to ministry. Notice he says, I thank Christ Jesus our Lord who has given me strength that he considered me faithful, appointing me to his service. People do not make themselves a preacher of the gospel. People do not make themselves a missionary of the gospel. God appoints people to that position, to those places of service. They are not self-appointed. And Paul was called to the ministry, and he says in Galatians 1.15, But when he who had set me apart before I was born, and who called me by his grace. <laughs> Some people have the attitude, you know, well, I, I have to go to church, and I, I got to do the religious thing. You know, that's what I got to do. I got to punch the card. I got, I got to show up. I, Paul says, you know, because of God's grace, I get to be involved in ministry. You know, it's amazing to me, and it seems like no matter what church I've been in, there's always a shortage of workers. There's always a shortage of workers. In fact, right now, we're going to need some more people to serve in Awana. We have some people that need a break. They've been doing it for 20 years. They need a break. And I wonder who's going to step in and fill that gap, that they feel the grace of God in their life, that God has given them grace, and they want to share that grace with kids. And God's put that on your heart. We need to be praying about that as a church, that God would call people. We have a lot of kids. We've got 200 kids. It takes a lot of people to do that. But you know, God has called all of us. Maybe he hasn't called you to full-time ministry, but he's called all of us to ministry. Every one of us he has called to ministry. And we need to be involved. Paul says, I get to be involved in ministry. I get to take the gospel to places it's never been. I get to share the gospel with people in prison. I get to be as witness before kings and those in authority. The other thing we see with Paul is his courage in suffering. He says this in uh, 2 Timothy 3.11, My persecutions and sufferings that happened to me at Antioch, Iconium, at Lystra, which persecutions I endured, yet from all of them the Lord rescued me. You know, I think as our culture becomes more and more biblically illiterate, we, there's a greater rebellion 
there's a greater darkness, there's a greater opposition to the church, and it's going to take incredible courage on our part. As I was getting dressed this morning, pulling clothes out of the closet, I said, I wonder how I would feel if I was in prison for sharing the gospel. That I didn't have a closet to go get clothes out of, that I had on a jumpsuit, and, and that's what I had to, and whatever was placed in front of me, I ate, and my rights were taken away for sharing the gospel. Would I be willing to have that kind of courage and suffering? It's a good question. Paul had numerous imprisonments, countless beatings. He was often near death. Five times it says he received 39 lashes with a whip. Three times he was beaten with rods. Once he was stoned. Three times he was shipwrecked. He had sleepless nights, hunger and thirst, in cold and exposure. That's courage and suffering. And yet he says, I was appointed by God and given strength that God has delivered me from all of this by his grace. Paul could write to Timothy with conviction when he told him in 2 Timothy 2.1, Timothy, you need to be strengthened with the grace that is in Christ Jesus. Be strengthened with the grace that is in Christ Jesus. But then he goes on to say, I thank Christ Jesus our Lord who has given me strength that he considered me faithful, appointing me to his service. Now there's a word that's convicting, faithful. You see, it's not what others say about me that counts. It's what God says about me that counts. What is God's commentary on Roy Burkett's life? Would God say, well done, thou good and faithful servant. You've been faithful over a few things. I'm going to make you ruler over many things. I wonder if you would be embarrassed if we put your giving right up on the screen. We're not going to do that, by the way. <laughs> in fact, I don't know what anybody gives in this church. But I wonder, would you be embarrassed if that was placed right up there? Or would you say, you know what, thank you, God, that I've been able to give to this church and support the local church, that the mission of the gospel would be spread, and you would rejoice? Or would you go cower in shame? What about your faithful service to the Lord? Is there a faithfulness in serving God that he would say you have been faithful in supporting the local church so the local church can support the mission of the church? So we see appreciation for God's grace and goodness that Paul was counted faithful. Even at the very beginning of his ministry, he was counted faithful. That's why God called him. The second thing we see here is we see a comprehension of Paul's sin and brokenness. Look in verses 14 to 16. The grace of our Lord was poured out on me abundantly along with the faith and love that are in Christ Jesus. Here's a trustworthy saying that deserves full acceptance. Christ Jesus came into the world to save sinners, of whom I am the worst. But for that very reason I was shown mercy, so that in me, the worst of sinners, Christ Jesus might display his unlimited patience as an example for those who would believe on him and receive eternal life. 
What an incredible statement. Paul remembers how he was broken and blinded by sin. And he's saying, in the midst of my blindness and brokenness, I received mercy because I acted ignorantly in unbelief. He's saying, I didn't even know what I was doing. I thought I was doing what God wanted me to do. He said, I realized how wrong I was. He was blind to the fact that he was guilty of breaking God's law, that he was doing what God wanted him to do. And yet, God saved him. Last weekend, we were at Celebrate Recovery, the seminar. There was a man named Jeff. He was in his 60s. He had had an addiction to alcohol and drug addiction. He had robbed people, people in his own family. I shared some of this a little bit last week. He had stolen money from his parents' house. He had been in stabs and fights, and he said he should have been dead several times. But here's what he said. He said, I used to be a hopeless drug addict. But he said, now I'm a dopeless hope addict. (laughs) Isn't that good? I had to practice that half a night to get it right. (laughs) You should be impressed. (laughs) I'm like, man, I'm going to mess this up. (laughs) Yeah, I used to be a hopeless drug addict. Now I'm a dopeless hope addict. Wow. Wow. I mean, God had delivered him. Do you know there are people in Huron today who are addicted to drugs and alcohol and all kind of hurts and hang-ups and habits, and God wants to use Bethesda Church to change them. We really believe that God has called us to this Celebrate Recovery ministry, and we want you to be praying about it, that God would bring the right people involved. The word is spreading. It's already out in the community that Bethesda Church is wanting to do that, and we want to get other churches involved. We believe that the grace of God can reach these people in their brokenness and in their sin, and God wants to deliver them by his grace. But you know what? The grace of God has to be at work in our hearts, and we don't want to look down at them. We want to say, you know what? You come. You, you, know, what the, you know what the alcoholic needs? He needs to understand that he's a sinner and that Jesus Christ died on the cross for his sin and that the grace of God can change his life. Do you know what the pornographer needs? The same thing. Do you know what the child abuser needs? The same thing. Do you know what the wife beater needs? The same thing. Do you know what I need? The same thing. If we understand that the ground is level at the cross... Who am I to point a finger or cast a stone? Jesus said, let him that is without sin cast the first stone. Let's put the stones down and let's embrace them by the grace of God. Say, would you come to Jesus? Jesus wants to change your life. He's the only one that can. You can't deliver yourself, but God can deliver you. He delivered Paul, the worst of sinners. He's delivered me from my sin. If we understand our sin and our brokenness, what did we sing this morning? How deep the Father's love. And what did he say held him on the cross? My sin. Wait a minute. Roy's sin, not yours, mine. Put your own name in there. It was my sin that nailed him to the cross. It was your sin that nailed him to the cross. And the grace of God 
I'm responsible for his death. He says, I forgive you. I give you grace. That's a wonderful thing that God does that. Here was a blasphemer, a persecutor, a violent man, and God delivered him from his sin. Maybe you don't have those particular issues, but maybe you have another issue, and God wants to deliver you from that sin, and he can do it. What does he say here? Augustine says, God does not choose a person who is worthy, but by the act of choosing him, he makes him worthy. None of us are worthy to be in ministry. God chooses to put us there by his grace and his mercy. But you see, apart from the Holy Spirit, I will never recognize my brokenness and sin, and neither will you apart from the Holy Spirit. You see, because brokenness looks amazingly normal to a person who is apart from Christ. Life doesn't work apart from Christ. He said, without me, you can do nothing. Remember the rich young ruler? He comes to Jesus and he says, what do I need to do? I've kept the commandments from my youth. What do I need to do? And he thought, you know, that by doing all these things that it was going to cover his brokenness by doing good things. He's saying, Jesus, I'm really a good guy. I'm on my way to heaven. I'm okay. I'm zealous in doing what I'm doing. But it wasn't until the Spirit of God breaks in on someone's heart they realize they have no hope. The salvation of Paul provides an example that no matter how great a sinner you are, no matter how great a sin you have committed, God, by his mercy and grace, can set you free Because all those sins are a result of our brokenness. Pornography is a result of brokenness. Drunkenness is a result of brokenness. The sins of the flesh are the result of brokenness. God's mercy and grace is the only hope for the pornographer. God's mercy and grace is the only hope for the drunk. The person filled with anger needs God's grace and mercy. Old things are passed away. All things become new. Old actions as well as old affections. Stephen Charnock wrote this in the 1600s. He was a Puritan pastor in England as well as spent some time in Ireland. And he said, operations are never constantly against nature. The heart and the actions do not always contradict one another. He said, according to the abundance of the heart, the mouth speaks. According to the spring of grace in the heart, will the hand of the life stand. And it is true. The corrupt nature is a habit of sin, he says. The new nature is a habit of grace. God not only calls us to believe, love, and obey, but he brings in the grace of faith and love and obedience. He binds them up together and he plants it in the soil of the heart. Isn't that good? He plants it in the soil of the heart. How many mercies, how many times has God mercied you? Mark Batterson writes in his book, his mercies never come to an end. 
They are new every morning. The English word new is the Hebrew word hadas. It means never before experienced. Today's mercy is different from yesterday or the day before or the day before the day before. Just as a seasonal flu vaccine changes from year to year, God's mercy changes from day to day. It's a new strain of mercy. Why? Because you didn't sin today the way you did yesterday. So he says, try this little exercise. Figure out how old you are, not in years, but in days. That's the sum total of different kinds of mercy you've received life to date. By the time you're 21, you've experienced 7,665 unique mercies. By the time when you hit midlife, it numbers 14,600. And by the time you hit retirement, listen, God has mercied you 23,725 times. <laughs> the mercy of God. You are sitting here as, under the influence of the gospel as a result of God's mercy. Whether you believe it or not, it's the mercy of God. So what does Paul do? He comes through this whole thing. He says, I'm the worst of sinners. <laughs> he said, I can't think of anybody worse than me. And he says, it's because it's an example that there's no one beyond the reach of God's mercy and grace. No one. So he says in verse 17, adoration of God's greatness and glory. Look in verse 17. Now to the king eternal, immortal, invisible, the only God, be honor and glory forever and ever. Amen. This is a doxology of praise for who God is. God's gift of mercy and Paul's need for forgiveness. Paul mentions four characteristics of God in this passage. First, the King Eternal. That eternal life is found in God, that God is the ruler of time and eternity. He's the King over all creation from beginning to end. He's worthy of our praise. Secondly, He's immortal. He says He will not die. He will never experience decay or corruption. He's not made of skin like you and I. Thirdly, he's invisible. He cannot be seen physically. He is a spirit, but he is nonetheless real. Fourthly, he's the only God. There were many false gods. There were false teachers in 1 Timothy. But he's saying he is the one true living God. His wisdom, his power is beyond comprehension. He has no equals. He is God and there is no other no other God who can deliver a Muslim from the blindness of their sin, from a Hindu from the blindness of their sin, from someone in Shintoism from the blindness of their sin. Only God in His mercy and grace to be extended to them. And then he goes on and he closes out this chapter with a declaration of faith and a good conscience. He tells Timothy, in light of the fact, Timothy, that there are false teachers, in light of the fact that they are promoting a false doctrine, 
Timothy, remember the law and grace are essential to understand the gospel. The law exposes our sinfulness and grace enables us to be forgiven and changed. So he says, Timothy, my son, I give you this instruction. In keeping with the prophecies once made about you, so by following them you may fight the good fight, holding on to faith and a good conscience. He's saying, Timothy, here's what you need to do. Continue to walk in faith and moral integrity. Even though these false teachers all around you are living in immoral lifestyles and teaching a false doctrine, Timothy, you walk in faith. You walk in moral integrity. You do what's right. Because a rejection of the gospel results in a shipwreck of the faith. Faith and works go together. Faith and doctrine go together. You cannot practice a right faith unless you have a correct doctrine. That's why Paul was so adamant. Timothy, preach the truth. Preach the word. Preach the gospel of grace. And what does he do? He gives him a warning. He said, some have rejected these and have shipwrecked their faith. Hymenaeus and Alexander. What does it mean that he hands them over to Satan? Well, different commentators have different opinions on this, but one suggested a couple possibilities that said it may refer to an illness or a physical disability Satan is allowed to inflict on an evildoer. Or it may talk about the whole aspect of life in a church as the sphere of the spirit and life outside the church as the sphere of Satan. And therefore they are to be excommunicated from the church because that's exactly what Paul told them to do in Corinth when they had the believer and they said excommunicate him, put him outside the church. Why? The purpose was not for necessarily just punishment, it was for correction. Paul is saying that hopefully they'll come to their senses and come back to the church and come back to the faith. Let's put them outside. correction. Paul hoped that Satan's affliction of the troublemakers would teach them not to insult the Lord by their words and their deeds. So we are changed by grace. Maybe you have a family member that's lost as can be, a neighbor, a friend, One of the greatest things you can do is share your testimony. I think one of the things that Satan has done is he has minimized the power of a personal testimony. Let me ask you a question. When is the last time you've shared your personal testimony with someone? Your personal testimony, how the grace and mercy of God changed you. And you say, let me share with you what God's done in my life. And you share. Paul shared his testimony over and over in the book of Acts. And when he had opportunity here, he's sharing his testimony. I thank God and what he's done in my life. Let God use your testimony. Let's bow together for a word of prayer. As you bow your heads and close your eyes this morning, I have a question. Paul said God considered him faithful. Are you faithful? I'm not talking about church attendance. I'm talking about your faithfulness to the Lord. 
in your relationship with God. You're taking in His Word. You're looking to be a witness. You're looking to share your testimony. You're looking to share the gospel. You're praying for the conversion of lost people that God has burdened your heart with. Do you have a personal relationship with Christ? Maybe you're here this morning and you know, you say you've been a believer for a number of years, but you have been in bondage to some particular type of sin. God wants to deliver you. He wants to change you by his grace. And one of the things that I often say in counseling is I tell people you need to give God room to work in your life. He wants to work. You have to give him room. You have to give him permission. You have to give him access. He does not force himself on us. The Bible says he resists the proud, but he gives grace to the humble. We have to humble ourselves and acknowledge our sin before a holy God. Say, God, I need you. Maybe you're here this morning and your marriage is falling apart. And you need God's grace in your marriage. God wants to heal your marriage. I have no doubt. And I have no doubt that God can heal your marriage if you give him room to work. Or any other need that you have. If you have questions about salvation, how can I know I have a personal relationship with God? Please see myself afterwards or somebody else. We'd be glad to share with you from God's Word. Or if you have a spiritual need or a need you would like to be prayed for, we'd be glad to pray with you. We hope you've enjoyed today's message. If you would like to know more about Bethesda Church, you can check us out on the web by going to our website, which is BethesdaMB.org. That's Bethesda, M as in Mary, as in boy.org or check us out on Facebook by searching for Bethesda Church of Huron. Have a blessed day.